Hello and welcome to Cyber Soundbites, the podcast that explores how to protect yourself, your family and friends online. We'll also keep you updated on the latest cyber threats while taking a deeper dive into subjects such as social media use, the dark web and online gaming. Throughout March, look out for the Cyber Confident team at MOD sites across the UK and overseas where they are conducting risky and suspicious behaviours. If you spot them, be sure to challenge their behaviour in a constructive manner. And if you're successful, you'll receive a limited edition Cyber Confident Challenge coin. I'm Ben Cook, and this time I'm talking to Bridget, an ethical hacker from Norway. It's Bridget's job to break into systems and sites, and she's seen plenty of people carry out constructive challenges. She's also seen lots of people fail to challenge at all. I asked her to tell me a bit more about her role. Currently, I am working as an ethical hacker where I specialize in social engineering and OSINT. Uh, ethical hacking is where I'm allowed to test systems. Uh, it's basically pen testing. And uh, what I do is that I test the human element of cybersecurity. Usually, I, I do a bit of a different couple of things. I test people sending out fake SMSs and fake emails, etc., such as called, uh, they're called like smishing and phishing, which probably a lot of people have heard of, except that I am not trying to take people's money. I'm just trying to test if they're pushing the link. Okay. And um, I also do uh, some physical social engineering tests where I can see if I could enter a building or enter a server room at, uh, at different companies. Wow. So uh, kind of like a spy. Yes, I can hear this, uh, the tune of Mission Impossible in my mind whenever <laughs> I walk in. <laughs> oh, cool. So as I understand it, you got into ethical hacking via a sort of slightly unconventional route. Am I right in saying that? Yes, I would say so. I started out um, working with IT and worked with IT for years. And then I decided to go further into cybersecurity and uh, do some education uh, when I got older, uh, and then I discovered the path of social engineering and that it was actually possible to help enhance the security for the human element of the cybersecurity, because I could often see that, yes, we we are very much into securing that server or securing that uh, that firewall and whatnot, but the human element is more intangible, and I thought it was interesting that I wanted to get further experience into that. For those um, who, who don't know exactly what sort of social engineering is or ethical hacking, are you able to def- define those? Can you can you shed a bit more light on what those are exactly? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, when it comes to ethical hacking, that entails more than just the social engineering part. It entails um, looking at uh, the server systems, the web applications, websites, etc., and test them and walk in the shoes of the attacker and try to basically see if you can breach it. And when it comes to social engineering within ethical hacking, it's the same just with humans to see if you can get a hold of their cyber systems through the humans or information that will weaken um, the defense line sort of. And uh, so social engineering is basically when you... I would, of course, people always say manipulate, but uh, you make a person uh, do something that uh, despite of it being in their best interest or not. So you 
sort of make a person do what you want them to do by using techniques of persuasion and so on. What sort of things should we be looking out for? Usually, when someone is really friendly towards you, I mean, you should always be kind and courteous and think that people are doing this in the best interest to gain a relationship with you. But if they come with a lot of questions or if they try to build a relationship really fast with you, you should always have this little red flag in your mind thinking, what are they trying to gain from this? Not saying you should be paranoid, but you should at least think twice before just chatting away with a stranger or someone who was a stranger 10 minutes ago. I guess you working in Norway and then having an understanding of, of the way that us, us Brits sort of act in workplaces, what cultural differences have you observed between workplaces in Norway uh, versus those in the UK? That is actually quite a funny question because Norwegians are tend to be looked at as a very, we like our distance between people and we're very crude and direct by okay. nature. But uh, even so, uh, in Norway, people are very trustworthy. Uh, as soon as someone comes in uh, to an office and starts chatting away, people are willing to share their information. And I would say that also goes for the UK. I've been to the UK uh, twice. And uh, it is interesting. I mean, people are not much different from Norway to the UK. There's a lot of more pleases and thank yous, but everyone wants to share. And uh, that is actually quite interesting. So actually, when I was in the UK uh, a couple of months back, I went to a bar and I met some uh, UK military personnel who was still serving. And they uh, were shutting up and telling me a lot of details about their work and even showing me pictures from uh, ceremonies that I definitely maybe shouldn't have been seeing. And it is so easy for people to share when you get into it and you get acquainted with people. And of course, you're proud of your job. You want to share and you, yeah. Yeah, you feel like this is a good thing. And that is why it is so important for people to set those boundaries and rethink what is okay to share and what is not okay to share. Not because it is, uh, it's not nice sharing it. It's just that it is easy to share and not know the boundaries. You've got to set those internally. You've got to rethink, okay, what is okay to share from my private life? What is okay to share from my work life? And what should I not share? And just draw that boundary mentally inside your head. Right. So I, I guess uh, without giving away too many of your secrets, could you uh, walk us through some of your most cunning methods to test cybersecurity in a workplace? What does that look like? Yes, of course. Um, in Norway, we have uh, these sort of IT companies who um, give out services to different schools in the, in the municipalities. And those, those IT departments oftentimes have server rooms uh, scattered across the municipality, also in their public buildings. And one of my assignments was to gain access to a server room at um, a pre-elementary school uh, in a municipality. And when I started out, uh, that's all I had. I was going to this, uh, this determined school and gain access to that server room. And that's all I knew. I knew the IT company and I knew the school. So uh, 
I had to start out trying to gather enough information about the locations and about the people working there. And whenever I do that, uh, it's like walking into this really messy room. You don't even know where to begin because you do not know the attack angle when you're starting out. It usually just occurs to you when you are gathering information. Mm. And when, when you gather information, it is open source information uh, called OSINT, Open Source Intelligence. And I start out by doing Google searches and looking at social media profiles. I learn a lot about people doing that in different positions. Uh, in some tests I've done, I've seen people putting out everything from their hobbies and sports. And they are, for instance, they're at the top ranking list for marathons, etc. And all of these things might not seem as important for people, but I can use that and leverage that to gain people's trust when meeting them. So if I knew that you were a marathon runner, for instance, it would be, and I really wanted to get to you, I would uh, I would start reading up on that, reading up on the latest marathons, reading up on your uh, placings, That that's often public information. And whenever I would chat up with you, either through a runner's group or either, even just meeting you at an office, I would start talking about running and we would gain instant rapport. You would trust me more. So I did this with the school and the IT department, trying to gain information, trying to look at a different angle and how to get in. And I started reading out on technical documents on how the school was built and project documents and what services were being used and so on. And then I looked at Google Maps to look at how it looked like and just doing different Google searches, trying to find documents, trying to find employers. And then I found this um, project because uh, in Norway, the public sector has this transparency. We have to have almost everything publicly available. That's why it's easier to find information about okay. it. So, uh, when I, But what I found wasn't supposed to be publicly available. That being said, I found uh, some project documents uh, with blueprints of all the schools in the municipality and all the daycares in the municipality. And on those blueprints, they were marked off where all their network equipment was and uh, what type of network equipment it was. In this case, it was Cisco, not saying the product type, but it was Cisco. And suddenly this idea came to my mind. I mean, this was a recent project. And all of a sudden I had this reason for visiting the school and the server room. What if I came as part of IT to change something in the server room? according to that project. So, of course, as an IT person, I always have a Cisco cardboard box lying around with a Cisco router in. Don't ask me how that happened, but I have. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I took that out and um, I printed out the documents for a project to have that with. And then I started researching the people who would have access to that server room and why would I not have access if I were from the IT department and I thought to myself okay what if I'm a new person I haven't gotten the access cards and the keys yet and this is at the end of the week let me see here okay we have this person working at the network department from the IT department and he is really into motorcycles I can see that from the pictures and this was springtime so I manufactured this uh, email just just basically making an email and Outlook and printing it out. 
didn't have to send it anywhere and uh, making it to the uh, looking like it was from that person to a mail to me uh, that uh, mail address looked like the ones from the IT department as well the, just the two went from field and then I made this elaborate email about me uh, him uh, let's call him Adam uh, that Adam had to work uh, on his motorcycle and he was taking a day off work to prep it for the season and wondered if I could just go out and give uh, and just change the routers uh, at that school. So I just made this elaborate email and then I topped off with a signature just taking out the the logo for, for the IT department from their website and making up uh, something that looked like a professional signature. And then, of course, the phone number wasn't to that person. It was to a male coworker of mine who were told, if someone calls, you are that person. Uh, and then I just printed that out, put that together with the documents and the Cisco box. And then I thought of, okay, what do I need to get uh, get in there. Who has the keys? It's in usually at schools. It's either a principal who has an all access pass, and there is uh, cleaning, and it is maintenance. So I went for maintenance. There was one maintenance worker at the school. Usually they have the universal key in case something happens, and I researched that person. Let's call him Bart, just for a random name here. Okay. So Bart was was a maintenance personnel at the school. And when I got there, I parked the car and I was thinking, okay, I got to find Bart because and I will present this to him and hopefully he will let me in. And I parked the car and took out the box and I turned around and I saw Bart walking across the across the lawn outside of the building. And I was just, uh, just out of the spur of the moment, I was like, hey, are you Bart? And he was like, yeah, what about it? And I was like, oh, yeah, you see, Adam has, uh, I am from this IT department and Adam has sent me. And uh, due to this project, I got to go and swap some routers. And I half, you know, I pointed at the email I was holding over the box and said that he told me to contact you because I'd written that in the mail as well, that Bart is, Bart can probably help you out. He's a really nice guy. Just, you know, some flattery and everything mm. in the mail. Oh, it works. And, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, definitely. So he took the... Um, he took the, um, he was just, oh yeah, now you're in luck. I'm the only one with a key here. And then he grabbed the box for me and carried it down, very chivalrous of him. And he carried it down and he opened the door and then said, how long will it take? And I said, about 30 minutes, I don't know. And he said, okay, here's my phone number. Call me when you're done. And he left. And there I was, two minutes-ish, after I just parked my car, I was alone in the server room. Yeah, that's quick. You know, you like to think that you would challenge, but I think the tendency would be that you would want to help out. So I can totally see how they've done that, although, you know, they clearly shouldn't have. What should they have done in those situations? So at the point that Adam received the email and the point in which you approached Bart, what behavior would you have liked, would you like to have seen? Yes. So in this case, Adam from the IT department, he did not know about this at all. Uh, he'd never received email. I just filled in an email and, and printed it. I didn't send it anywhere. So it uh, it wasn't even, it was just analog. And ah, okay. so he, he wouldn't know anything. But Bart, the maintenance worker, what really, 
was, I mean, of course, he could have been asking questions, okay, I got a call, but if he would have called, he would have called a coworker of mine uh, instead of that person. So what he could have done is basically could have called the IT department himself to a contact number that only he had to verify the information that I was going to get there today. Uh, and there could also be this policy in place that you had to do it. Like he would like, okay, yes, but I just got to verify your visitation because it's per policy. Because usually if we have that policy that we need to do something, it's easier for people to stand up and say, hey, I just got to do this. This is policy. I'm not trying to be unfriendly towards you. I'm just mm. doing my job here. Yeah, it gives you an excuse, I guess. Yes. And uh, and it also has that in the back of your mind that I need to check it. Uh, of course, you can still go around it. People can still be like, oh, but I'm really stressed. They can, in my case, as a female, I could do the damsel in distress. And I could do a lot of things that would make make him bypass the policy. Mm. Uh, but the policy would still help him in the initial tryouts there. And it will also help him become more aware of what can happen. Uh, like if he had a policy that he needs to verify with someone before giving them access to the server room, that would definitely help. And it's not that people are all, okay, as long as you have the policy, you're safe. It requires people to actually keep thinking about it. Is this a person I should trust? Should I just verify? I often say that in cybersecurity with all the servers and whatnot, not, people always talk about zero trust. Uh, when it comes to humans, we need the communication and we need uh, we need the connection with other people. So I'm more, much more into trust but verify. Trust but verify. Yeah. Okay. I mean you're saying about the human element but i know that introducing ethical hackers to test you know um companies organizations institutions cybersecurity, it's it's relatively new i know that the you know the mod um bought on ethical hackers i think for some of the first times they did that was in 2021 but in your opinion how much of an impact can people like yourself uh, with regards to improving cybersecurity in comparison to the more traditional security tools, how much more of an impact do you think your work can make and how how do you think it's going to improve cybersecurity looking forward? I think that when we do ethical hacking, both the technical and against humans, it will help people see what... It will sort of be like training for the event. You will see what that someone is acting like an attacker and mm. trying to infiltrate the system while on the blue side you're trying to hardening the system as much as possible i would say that one does not go without the other we need both sides we need the offensive side and the defensive side to work together more and actually check out what works and what does not work to just strengthen uh, strengthen the systems against the attackers so the simulation that the ethical hackers do it's important to sort of test what the defensive team has done. Does it work now? Is it good enough? And you have to do it uh, regularly because there will always be a new zero-day exploit, something new, some attacker finding out a new way in that mm. wasn't there before, and just be vigilant and con have a continuous testing scheme. Bridget, I, I'm, I've got one one final question, I suppose. Well, it's not a question. It's more that if people are, you know, interested in learning a bit more about ethical hacking, um, you know, 
where can they go what sort of stuff can they read what can they what can they do um, ethical hacking as a whole has uh, there are very much um, there are different sub areas within ethical hacking but if you really want to get a hands-on experience i recommend doing some um, try hack me rooms uh, try hack me is a it's a web page where you can do some labs and stuff like that to really see and then you can walk through it there are walkthroughs there and you can really get into the mindset uh, on whatever is interesting for you within the field of ethical hacking but other than that i would uh, just do a google search get educated and listen to podcasts and listen to podcasts you're 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 absolutely <laughs> right um and then i guess you know what's next for you and how if people would like to can they sort of keep tabs on on your work Oh yeah, uh, I am. Uh, I'm trying to be active on LinkedIn, and people are free to connect with me there. Uh, I go by the by the name Ragnil Sagen. Okay, brilliant. And then, you know, finally, what's what's next? What's next for you? Well, back to work, I guess. Trying to make the society more digitally secure. Good stuff. Well, Bridget, thanks very much for joining us today. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Likewise. That was Bridget. What an interesting job she does. I've never spoken to anybody with a job so fascinating. Look out for more episodes in this series. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more by emailing the team at cyberconfident at mod.gov.uk. See you next time.